Well, good afternoon again. I'm Charles Garland. I'm the minister here, and I appreciate you being here, especially the Cinema wedding party, including Sam and Britta, who were a little unclear about the whole idea of a honeymoon. But we're like, we're happy to see you. It takes a big man to admit that he's wrong. And I just want to say that we're going to change up our communion a little bit. (laughs) Uh, We're trying. Uh, Two lines we've been doing. We're still going to do that. Um, But we're going to one at a time. We're going to go single file. um, And then the elder with the bread will speak to you. Then take a cup if you need grape juice or gluten-free. They're on the table. And then there are trash cans here for your cup when you're through. So one at a time, go back down the aisle, you came up. I think this one's going to work. (laughs) (laughs) This is a famous passage we're going to be in in the Gospel of Mark. It's printed there in your bulletin, or if you have a Bible, you can follow along. It's the... uh, it's the passage where the creeping revelation finally comes to fruition for the followers of Jesus, trying to figure out who he is, uh, that he's the Messiah. And this feels like the most obvious of conclusions to us, because to us, Messiah, or the Greek word for that is Christ, you know, that's Jesus' last name. You know that when he introduces himself, right? <laughs> it's, but Jesus, the Messiah, was not an obvious thing for them. And it was really hard for them to get their minds wrapped around the idea that, like when they had read Daniel 7, like Melissa did in the synagogue, and it talked about one like a son of man coming to the ancient of days and receiving an everlasting kingdom, that that could be talking about this man that they were friends with, an actual person that they knew. And... It was very hard for them to come to terms with who he really is. And the whole Gospel of Mark up until now has been building up to it. For them to clue in in this way, they aren't that clued in at this point. But um, it's not as easy as it ought to be, though, for us, even with the benefit of hindsight, to to come to terms with the kind of Savior that Jesus is, the kind of rescue that he came to effect or deliverance that he came to bring. Um, we've had 2,000 years to ruminate on it. And still, uh, what he says about himself and how he was coming to fix the world and what that was going to look like for his followers uh, crinkles our foreheads. Like We're not really sure that's maybe exactly what he means or exactly what uh, is involved in following him and trusting in him. You know, um, it's just pretty counterintuitive because he talks all about how essential it is for him to go to the cross. And then he talks about how essential it is for us to also go to the cross, to take up our cross and follow him, as he says in the passage. So we're going to wrestle as we think about this with the first followers of Jesus about what does it mean, uh, really, to follow him in the way of the cross. So let me pray for us, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, we ask that... uh, even for those of us who've been in the faith for a long time, that you would uh, penetrate through our prejudices and that you would open our minds and hearts to you. And uh, For those who are just contemplating what it would mean to be a Christian, uh, 
disciple of Jesus. Um, I pray that you would give clarity and hope through what we read today. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning in verse 27 of uh, Mark 8. It says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. Anybody ever try to talk you out of something that you really, really wanted? Like a puppy? (laughs) Usually the talker-outers are fathers. Um, I've unsuccessfully tried to play that role several times in my family's life. Uh, I come up with brilliant objections You know how costly it's going to be. You know how difficult it's going to be. You know the limitations it's going to put on you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know. But I still want it. Or I want to be a Broadway singer. Do you know, you know, what it's going to cost and how much disappointment you're inviting into your life and how difficult that's going to be? Oh, oh, oh! But I want to be. Don't rain on my dreams. I want it so much. I don't care if it's hard. The Air Force has a special forces branch. AFSOC, the Special Operations Command of the Air Force. Uh, You may want to be in it, but I imagine if you ask, you're going to be told it's hard. There's uh, a very rigorous screening process that you're probably not going to do very well in. Uh, But people still say, I want to do it. I want to try it. I want that. Because that's who I want to be. That's what I want my life to be for. And I realize there's difficulty involved. I realize it's going to be hard. But I want it more than I care about the difficulty. So I'm going to push for that. People usually aren't dissuaded when they've got that euphoria of this is what I want and what I want to be. Um, The disciples are almost at that point with Jesus here. They, they bought in and said, you're the Messiah. Um, as much as that blows our categories, we're convinced that you're the Messiah. We're with you, come what may. Right? They're that far in their connection to him. 
And he starts to tell them, now look, it's going to be a lot harder than you realize to follow me. Uh, what you think you want in following me um, is probably not accurate. And what it's going to cost you is going to astound you, actually. You're going to be surprised. It's going to be more than the Air Force Special Ops. Their, their motto is this. It says they want to be capable across the spectrum of conflict at any time, any place, anywhere. Which is cool but redundant. Um, anytime, any place, anywhere. Right? You're going to sign up for it. You're signing up for that. And Jesus says, what I'm after is it's actually more than that. There's certainly the anytime, any place, anywhere uh, aspect to it. But necessarily, and in every case, there's even more than that. In every case, both for me in this mission and for you following me in this mission, there's a cross. So what I'm asking you to do, as plainly as I can say it, is to come and die. I want you to come and die. And it's going to be every day that you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and die to yourself. And it's going to be the trajectory of your life is that you are going to die in the service of my mission. And uh, that's some pitch, right, that <laughs> he gives his disciples right when they're at their peak of being ready to follow him, being bought in and committed to who he is and what he's doing. But it's no less true for us than it was for them. So I want us to think about this necessity of the cross, both for Jesus and for us. Because in both cases, Jesus doesn't say the cross is a way to get this done. He says it's the way. Both for him and for us. Not a way, but the way. So first, his cross is the way that his mission is accomplished. He says in verse 31, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and killed. Must. Why must? Why did Jesus have to suffer and be killed? Um, I mean, if he, was, if he was just coming to try to inspire us, then there's no need for him to go to the cross. He could be very inspirational without that. In some ways, that's, that's oddly non-inspirational <laughs> to see him go to the cross. If he's looking just to show us how much he loves us, it feels like something of a grand but foolish gesture for him to go to the cross for us. Um, you know, it's a, it's a dramatic gift, but a pointless one in some ways. If all he's trying to do is to communicate that he loves us. If he's just trying to overthrow Rome and establish the political glory of Israel's glory days, well, how does the cross help that? How does dying under the uh, power of empire help you overthrow the empire? Uh, those aren't the reasons Jesus must go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed. Uh, the main reason he must do it is so we can be forgiven. Right? He's doing it so we can be forgiven because anytime there's forgiveness, somebody has to eat a cost. Uh, you can think of it in small things. Kid in the neighborhood breaks your window with a baseball. Uh, you can forgive them. But somebody's going to pay the cost for the windshield. If you forgive them, you pay the cost. Uh, if you have them pay the cost, you know, that's not precisely forgiveness. Um, betrayals in relationships on a more difficult level to forgive uh, are similar. I, uh, you, 
There's not an option really to ignore injustice and ignore pain that happens in uh, deep rifts in a relationship. And for forgiveness to occur means that the offended party at some point has to eat the cost. I'm going to take the pain myself. Instead of you paying, I'm going to pay. I'm going to eat the cost. And that's what forgiveness means. And that's what it, it, it demands of us. It's always something of a death to forgive somebody because you're eating that cost yourself. And Jesus comes to eat that cost on a cosmic scale to forgive all of our sins. And in order to do that, he goes and absorbs the cost of our breaches, of our infidelity, of our cruelties and injustices in our stead. He says, I'm going to eat the cost for you. This is the mercy of God, right? That he, instead of uh, making us pay our own debt, he's willing to pay the debt for us himself in the person of his son. And so for that to happen, the cross is a necessity. That's why it's the way, not just a way. Because there's no other way for people like us to be reconciled to God. But now, why do you think Peter was against it? He rebuked Jesus. Man, it's bad enough to do that in private in a prayer or something, but to have it written down in the Bible, that's pretty grim. <laughs> you know? But he rebuked Jesus. And um, why? What bothered him about this? He just signed up. I think you're, I think you're actually the Messiah. The real promised one. Um, but not this way. Not this way. Not Like you can either be the Messiah or you can go to the cross, but there's not like some combination version of that. <laughs> if you're the king who's come to restore Israel, then the cross doesn't compute. Right? That's not what we're after here. He rebukes him. Um, the Messiah's going to come to bring us success. The Messiah's going to come to triumph. The Messiah is going to come to deliver us and to vindicate us. And someone who goes to the cross is failing and shameful and weak. And that can't be. It can't, that's not how, it can't work that way. You can't do that. And Jesus says that you're, you are counting Satan's line when you say that. Uh, get behind me, Satan. Uh, which is, I got the strongest rebuke I can imagine you know, coming from Jesus, but he says, look, don't think there's another way. This is the way. My surmise, sorry to surmise, but I'm old and I'm taking some liberty, but I, I think this is a lot of what uh, justified Judas's betrayal of Jesus. I think he was trying to force Jesus' hand. Say, don't, don't keep spiraling down towards this I've got to go die and be crucified thing. I want you to take the reins of power and begin to reign. I want you to make it happen. And I'm going to force your hand by provoke, you know, showing the Romans where you are. Um, that may be an overly generous view of Judas, but that attitude is the one that Peter had, which is, um, that's not how it works. It can't be that way. Uh, you're supposed to be here to vindicate us and to triumph. Maybe this is why Jesus said, after they said you're the Messiah, he said, don't tell anybody, because he thought, yeah, I'd rather not have to clean up what you say later because you don't get it. Right? You're so skewed right now. Wait till later to tell people. You know when he finally told Peter to go tell everybody about him being the Messiah? It's after Peter failed. Right? When Peter betrayed him uh, the night of his night before his crucifixion, betrayed him three times. You know, after the resurrection, Jesus comes to him and Peter is just 
torn up. He's distraught completely. He thinks the resurrection's real. He sees Jesus, but he still thinks, I'm ruined because I've failed so drastically. And Jesus restores him. After Peter says, depart from me, I'm a simple man. Jesus restores him. And then he says, now go feed my sheep. Now you can talk. Now you know why you need a Messiah that went to the cross for you. So now you go talk. And that's what he did. Because this is not a way, it's the way. But it's so upside down to all of our instincts religiously. You know, this whole idea where we come and sing, just as I am without one plea, except thy blood was shed for me. Um, not one plea with God. Not like my good deeds may not outweigh my bad, but it's a close race. Or, you know, my heart is good and my intentions are good. And I have tried to serve you a good bit at church and things. Not one plea, he says. So we sing these songs. If you, When you're new to the faith, I think it's really weird to hear how often we sing about blood at church. I mean, I've been here the whole time and it creeps me out a little bit. But um, <laughs> my favorite one is there's a fountain filled with blood. And we just sing it nice, you know, like, no, boom. <laughs> but we sing about blood, and we come to the table and remember Jesus shed blood for us week to week to week because the cross is the simple thing of Christianity. Everything we have with God uh, pivots on what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so we keep coming back to it. Um, it probably should give us the heebie-jeebies more than it does, but we shouldn't talk about it less, really. Because it's the whole central point of our hope as Christians. But it shapes in weird ways how we go about trying to uh, live as Christians and serve Jesus too. I mean, think about if you try to raise children as a Christian. It seems like the Christian goal is, I want to raise my children so that they never ever need Jesus. You know, if I do my job well enough, they'll never need Jesus. And that seems like a weird goal. <laughs> it's not possible but you sort of hope, like if we raise them well, they won't ever really sin in any very egregious ways. Uh, so they won't ever really have to be broken down in humility before God, begging for mercy. But what they need more than anything in the world is to be broken down before God, begging for mercy. <laughs> you know, that's what they need. If they're going to love and serve Him, they're going to have to get to where Peter got and be humbled. So what you look for as a Christian parent, when you can, is uh, the moments when your children say, I can't, or I'm trying, but I can't. Because then you've got a little bitty open window to say, I know. <laughs> I know, I can't either. And now we, let's go talk about Jesus. Because what we're trying to do is not make good little boys and girls that will be good enough for Jesus to like them, but we're trying to make children who will know their need of the mercy of Jesus. So, uh, or if you go into public life, you know it's very tempting for us to want to have, have hope for change in people without the cross. You know, through uh, coercion, through laws. If we can pass good laws, we'll make good people, which is what every religious person thinks. Except Jesus, who says what needs to change runs deeper than what the law can do. Certainly, runs deeper than what coercion can do. Um, so you can't go into public life with the hope that you're going to make people good through the law. Your prohibition instincts are probably misguided. You know? uh, because what needs to change is not just outward behavior, but the inside of the cup is what Jesus says. 
So, remember when, uh, I remember, because it's been a long time, but back when we were arguing publicly about prayer in public schools and Bible reading in public schools, I remember Gresham Machen saying, um, writing, saying that if we have Bible reading in the public schools, also Gresham Machen, since no one knows who I'm talking about, he was one of the sort of the stellar reformers in the early part of the uh, 20th century. Uh, he's kind of the founder of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. But he said, if we have Bible reading in schools, then the central message of the Bible is undoubtedly going to be skewed. Because they're not going to say, we all desperately need uh, the mercy of Jesus Christ dying on the cross in our place for us to be good people or to be right with God. Uh, so he said, just be careful what you think you can get uh, with some religious approach that doesn't center on the cross. And that's where Jesus pushes us with this. And certainly with forgiving each other, uh, the centrality of the cross matters very much because usually uh, nice people are willing to excuse other relatively nice people up to a point. And we call it forgiveness. I'm willing to let that go. Um, I can manage not to care. I excuse you. But forgiveness uh, hurts and is a death and it costs you. And when people have sinned against you, and violated you in a way that's not forgivable, um, the only way you could actually forgive them is to be able to see yourself in the light of the cross and say, I needed uh, to be forgiven dramatically. I needed someone to eat cost for me greater than any cost I could ever eat. And Jesus has done that for me. And so there's a way for me now to give you that same kind of forgiveness. I, I can reflect that to you because of the cross, because of what Jesus has done for me. It makes forgiveness possible way beyond where it otherwise would be. So, um, Jesus' cross, not, not a way, but the way. But then, surprisingly, he says the same thing with us. That the way of the cross is not a way to be a Christian, it's the way to be a Christian. And he says that um, anyone that's going to follow me, in verse, 20, 20, uh, verse 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Right? As Bonhoeffer said, when Jesus calls a person, he calls them to come and die. And that's what he says here. Anybody, it's going to cost you your life to be a Christian. That's what he says. Right? The way of the cross. The Christian faith is not going to be the way of victory. It's not going to be the way of success. It's not going to be the way of glory in this life. It's going to be the way of death. And that's hard, to, uh, that's hard to believe. It's hard to countenance, right? Um, especially if you're like me and have had as pleasant a life as I've had being a Christian. I've, I've really liked being a Christian. Uh, what it's cost me seems pretty minimal compared to what the benefits I've had. Um, but I know what he says is true, and I feel it, and I've experienced it, that to follow Jesus means that you're going to die. That means you're going to be called to deny yourself every day, and that you are going to not traipse up stair step of victory after victory, but you are going to fall into the ground like a grain of wheat and die if you're going to be fruitful. And that's just the way it is, not a way it could be. So, the thing is, he says this negatively and positively. Like, first of all, he says, look, if you, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you try to find your life in something else, it's going to take your soul. So, 
you're going to give your soul to something. If you try to find your life in something else, it'll take your life from you. If you your career or a cause or impressing the cool and savvy group of people that you know or money or your kids and family. If you look to these things to give you a life, they'll take your life. That's what Jesus says. They can't bear up under the weight of it, basically. Uh, they aren't necessarily bad things. They're just things that can't give you a life. All of Babylon's temptations, you know, that we think are going to be so wonderful, political influence and comfort and luxury and control, all these things we pursue as Flosky and Barkins, you know, these are things that you have to sell your soul to get in the way that they're put on offer in our culture. And um, all of them ultimately will require you more than you're willing to give. It's why, you know, the, the politicization of the church left and right over the last, you know, my adult lifetime, you know, it feels so much like the selling of our souls for a bowl of political porridge uh, when there's more to want, right? We've given away too much uh, to be able to have what Babylon offers. Things that promise you life might have taken it from you. The positive way Jesus says this is he says, but if you lose your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you'll find it. You'll find your life. You'll have a real life. Uh, an identity, a purpose that comes from this. A, uh, you know, it's a weird pitch. Come follow me and it'll kill you, but it's worth it. <laughs> but that's what he says. Um, but the cross, when you take up your cross, the cross doesn't make you stronger. The cross makes you dead, right? It's not like it feels like happy success. It just doesn't. But the reason it's worth it is because you get an identity first, Jesus is your life, and he can bear up under the weight of that. His approval uh, actually matters substantively in your life more than anybody else's approval or anything else you can get to make you somebody. Being loved and delighted in by him, beautiful in his eyes, is the thing that gives you a solid identity. In a world where everybody's casting around and trying on different pastiche identities all the time, it's an amazing benefit to be able to say, this is who I am. I am who I am in the eyes of my Savior. And uh, he delights in me. He loves me. He's got a future for me that's unreal. And that's a great benefit and gift. Um, and when you have that, if you experience it, not just if you have the opinion that Jesus is the Messiah, but if you experience some relationship with him, it, it actually uh, emboldens you to say to other things, I like you, but you're not my life. Like, I'm, I, I'm even committed to you, but you're not my life. I love my family, but they're not my life. I love my job, but it's not my life. Um, career, avocation, whatever it is. Uh, it's Jesus enables you to say those things. I don't have to have it. I love you, but I don't have to have it. And that's very free. And then you get a new agenda, too. If you uh, lose your life for the sake of the gospel, as Jesus says, um, your ambitions and your relationships and your place and uh, your nation and the way you see yourself in the world all become relativized. Um, but you do have a cause that says, I'm here to seek the kingdom. I'm here to be on Jesus' agenda. So he's fixing the world. He's pushing back against what's chaotic and broken. And he's put me somewhere, put you all over the place, uh, in order to uh, advance his agenda. Right? To push back against what's broken, to put on display and shine lights on what's beautiful and good. Uh, he's put us in here to give an advance, as an advance team for his coming kingdom. And... That's what we're given to do. Now, it may not be glamorous. It may be like 
super scary and exciting. You may have to go to Wuhan, China, and live and teach, you know, but you also may have to teach snarly people at Tucson High School, you know, and, um, but the king puts you where he wants to put you, right? That's his business, not ours, but glamorous or not, you're there to be expendable, not to be glorified yourself, right? You go where the king says, you serve uh, the king's errand, and I serve at the pleasure of the king, is the Christian's motto. Which is a beautiful thing to be able to say in a world where nobody can figure out what they're supposed to do, what their life's supposed to be. You know, we're able to say, like, I have a quest. I seek the kingdom, which is a great benefit and gift. It's going to kill me, but I've got a quest. And I, I'd rather have a quest that's going to kill me than not have a quest. You know? And uh, that's what Jesus offers us here. But, you know, it's a funny pitch because it's going to be a way of dying yourself every day. Um, blank contracts that he asks us to sign. You know, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I've quoted him a couple times already when he says, you know, when Christ calls him and he calls him to come and die. He lives in England uh, in the early days of National Socialism and saw the direction things were going, how grim it was, and he was very free to stay there or to go back to the U.S. And he didn't. He went back instead to Germany uh, where he knew he was going to be under pretty serious threat a threat that ultimately cost him his life. Um, because he knew that the way of the cross is not a way, it's the way. And knowing what it would cost him, he went anyway. That's what Jesus holds out for us. It's, uh, it's daunting if we pay attention to it, but it's the good life. It really is. Now let's pray.